Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh, and those of you watching are going to be joining me on an early morning drive down A1A in South Florida. Those of you listening will just listen to me drive down A1A at 6.52 a.m. Today, we're going to look at the first chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, I'm going to start uh, going through the chapters and verses Uh, periodically with you guys because so many of you had so many questions about it Um, yeah so why not get into it but today's the first chapter and it's often referred to as the yoga of dejection Um, it's given a lot of names in 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 different uh, different books with different commentaries Um, but it's known as the yoga of dejection and I will talk about that after this Um, Go to the infinite spark of beings.com. Oh, real quick, uh, somebody reached out um, and mentioned the hilarity of some of the ads that take place during this podcast. I don't pick them. Um, you know, uh, I'm glad that you guys think it's funny so and not offended by it because some of it apparently is just like some of it I'm offended by. I'm like, what the fuck? But just know that I don't pick them. You kind of get to, you say, hey, this is what this podcast is about. So, you know, uh, act accordingly, and then the advertising people just take a shit all over it because they're, you know, fucking sick. Um, some of you in advertising understand that. Um, I understand. But uh, I worked in marketing, advertising, design for 18 years. I get it. Um, okay. Uh, the Infinite Spark the Patreon. We'll talk about this first. There's now four tiers. There were three, now there's four. There is the $1 support tier, the $5 kindness tier, and then there is the journey tier and the awake tier. The journey tier is $10 a month, gives you access to the first Wednesday of every month online gathering, uh, as well as the email that accompanies it. If you're part of the awake tier, the $20 a month, there are two meetings now, uh, two Wednesdays a month, uh, also preceded by... um, emails that will be dealing with the topic, some sort of uh, reading or something. Um, nothing big, not, not a lot of reading. Um, my goal there is to create a community. Some of you uh, realize that by uh, the podcast I released before this that's not out yet, um, which is essentially a rant. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a rant. I'm sorry. Titled Spiritual Community, because I'd like to create some sort of a community. Uh, that's my goal. Uh, that's my intention. That you guys connect. You guys, you know, we create community where we can, um, you know, I have information and that information is meant for everyone. That information is not meant for a few. So it's, 
you know, I don't particularly identify with uh, some of the silliness online. I saved two uh, kooky reels the other day. One was this guy talking about how his spirit guides instructed him to buy the top of the line Prius and not the bottom of the line Prius. Um, and the other one was a woman saying, Hey, would you like to be a, a, a 13 moon priestess like me? Um, no, it was, uh, Hey, how do I become a 13 moon priestess like you, Eden? Um, which I'm sure is her birth name. So the, but that whole vibe, like I look, I believe in manifestation. I believe in the law of attraction, but I have a more, I believe a more reasonable view of it, uh, which is based somewhere in spirituality and fucking neurology. Um, as I believe they're one and the same, they're not mutually exclusive. That's the problem is that they have, they being fucking everybody has separated spirituality from the material world where they're both like very much involved with each other. Um, but what I always find interesting about this, and those of you with, you know, your, your guides, like I get it. Like I've been to mediums, apparently I have a spirit guide named Edgar that's been with me my entire life. But, um, I also have a consciousness. I also have a subtle body and a mind. And, um, I think that plays a big role. Something to understand when you think about like you're getting quote unquote messages from beyond. Remember the ego's main function is reality testing. Reality testing is the piece of the mind that separates you from everything. So when we are actively separating ourselves from our quote unquote guides, our God, our whatever, that's, yep, that's the ego. So, uh, when you are merged with those things, uh, living in more of a non-dualistic state, um, that's, not the ego. So yeah. Okay. So that's the Patreon. Um, there's also a donate. There's an option to donate. Um, you know, because there's the information for PayPal and Venmo. If you like this content, you appreciate everything that I do. Just know that I do it all myself. Like right now, the third book, I am doing all the typesetting, everything for it because you know, I have a history and design. Um, but I do everything. I do all of it. I don't have anyone helping me. Um, my girlfriend's really good for, uh, for stuff. She's much smarter than me. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, the stores up there, which is, you know, all again, like, you know, creating all that stuff. So it does help me out a lot. Um, okay. As do the ads for artificial breast milk that apparently occurred during this podcast. Also, um, click the about button, read a little bit about me. Those testimonials that you see, those are, um, people that have done thought transformation restructuring with me over the years. Um, so that is a technique that I developed. Uh, I was trained in other modalities. This is kind of my like version of all of them, which is something I've used to move trauma from the right side of the brain to the left side of the brain, essentially. Um, trauma, grief, and it doesn't necessarily have to be traumatic. You know, there's things that happen to us that aren't traumatic per se, but they definitely fuck us up. And, um, you know, it's a way of actually healing those things and not just calling it healing, but it actually heals you. You'll never forget what happened and you always have an opinion about it, but your body will stop responding to it. The quickened heart rate, the short breathing, all those things that will go away. That's the goal, because I'm not going to give you amnesia, but 
know that I'm okay, I feel okay, and that sucked. Those two things can coexist. Just like when we're dealing with grief and loss, pain does not equal love. The amount of pain and longing you feel is not representative of the love you had for that person. Those are two separate things. Um, and there's reasons for, for the pain. Not reasons like, oh, it's purposeful. I just mean I can explain to you why the mind would produce that. Okay. Uh, but if you're interested in that, uh, deepening your meditation practice, starting a meditation practice, deepening your understanding of spirituality, how these things all interact together. Uh, if you'd like me to give a talk wherever, uh, do a workshop at your yoga school or something, reach out all of it through email. That's the best under that would be Instagram direct message. So I am working on some Facebook specific ads. Cause I realize that's something I've really neglected, but okay. So dejection, uh, means depressed, sad, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of us, you know, um, realize that in our deepest most painful moments, something was discovered, right? Uh, so yoga of dejection, yoga meaning to come into union with, to join with, uh, obviously what we're talking about is truth or God or whatever. What, you know, the Gita is referring to when it's referring to yoga, it's not referring to asanas. It's referring to the merging with the realization of self with a capital S, Atman, Jiva, not Shiva, Jiva, um, essentially Brahman or Brahman, that like you're merging with source. That's yoga. Uh, you could consider it an alpha flow state where you are now just doing and you are not so attached. You know, it's like when you're running and you suddenly aren't concerned with how bad your legs hurt how bad, like, you're tired, whatever the thing's going, you're just going, and that's an alpha flow state, and life can be like that too, which is not necessarily a bad thing, um, so the yoga of dejection is to come into union with that thing through being just, uh, distraught, in pain, and depressed, and that is where Arjuna is at the beginning of the Gita, uh, if you take on the Bhagavad Gita. There's a whole bunch of names that get mentioned in the beginning of it. Um, some of you, you know, that have started like, hey, like this is a lot, especially if you read the version that I prescribe by Eknath Eswaran, um, Marble Mouth, whatever I'm saying there. Um, the introduction's really long and he's talking about something called the Mahabharata is how it looks in there. It's a lot of people call it the Mahabharata. Maha meaning great, Bharat meaning India or something. But it's the largest epic ever written. It's larger than the Iliad and the Odyssey, all of it. It's, it's huge. Um, I have read it and I have listened to it. <clears throat> Both are difficult. There is a horribly, not horribly narrated, I shouldn't say that, but it is not polished narrated version on Audible if you're interested. Um, and it's 45 hours. So, um, and what I always tell people about the Mahabharata is like, it is either the, a true story or it is the worst story ever written because there's times where it's like, it's just going on and on about something really weird 
You're like, why is it? Why are we still talking about this? Um, but it's not written like a Hollywood movie that just moves you along, or a you know Tom Clancy book. So a lot of people believe that the Mahabharata was a historic event that happened. This uh, war. Uh, which essentially the Mahabharata is all these characters. There's Dhritarashtra, the blind king. Let's go back a little bit further. You asked for it, so don't, you know, if you're, you know, if you just sighed, I probably just, I'm just afraid that you're sighing. So the other night, uh, we read the Gita every night, and um, I tried to explain the history of the five brothers, and it was um, comical at least, but. So you have have this man, Pandu, who is the king, and you had, one of his brothers was a man named Dhritarashtra, and Dhritarashtra was blind, and he was actually born blind because his mother was so um, offended by the fact that that her mother was making her uh, procreate with this filthy sadhu, that the sadhu cursed her. And I think Vyasa was the... Vyasa Dev was the sadhu. Okay, sorry. It is Vyasa Dev. I believe. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, um, there's too much in my brain. But she was so offended. She, like, covered her eyes. He was so fucking ugly. And so he's like, all right, fucking... How about this? Kid's blind. Suck it. And he left. But um, anyway, Pandu uh, was this very pious and amazing king. Um... But long story short, he got cursed and um, died uh, by having sex with his wife. Uh, and that was actually the curse. So it's, it's a whole thing. But being that he could not have sex with his wives, he wanted sons. And so one of his wives, I'm trying not to get into minutia and the names and all the shit, but... One of his wives knew a mantra that allowed her to call upon certain gods. So each of these sons is actually the product of his, their mother having sex with different gods. So anyway, um, but then these five brothers, Yudhisthira, Bhima, Arjuna, Nikula, and Sahadev. And um, those are the Pandus, the sons of Pandu. Uh, they got exiled because Duryodhana, their cousin's a piece of shit, and Dhritarashtra, the blind king, is one of those really shitty enabling parents. Um, like those ones that think their annoying kid is just gifted, or maybe they're a star seed or an indigo child, and, and it's like, no, no, I'm pretty sure that's just an ill-behaved kid, and you're not being much of a parent. Um, that's essentially Duryodhana and his shitty fucking brothers and all of these asshole kings like backed him up and then the Pandus they're coming back to take the kingdom back so um, the battlefield of Kurukshetra is called that because it's the battlefield of the Kurus the bad guys quote unquote are the Kurus the good guys quote unquote are the Pandus the Pandavas rather now they're both Kurus it's turtles and tortoises they're both Kurus but for all intents and purposes, bad guys the Kurus, good guys the Pandavas. Those are the five brothers, including Arjuna. Arjuna's father, well, I'll just go through it. Yudhisthira's father is Dharma. Bhima's father is Vayu, god of the wind. Dharma is, you know, justice, law. 
um, Vayu, and then um, Bhima's, no, 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 yeah, Bhima's dad is Vayu, um, and then Arjuna's dad is Indra, who I was lovingly referred to as the CEO of heaven. He's like the king of the gods, which doesn't make him the most powerful god. Vishnu was always and forever the most powerful god. Vishnu, Krishna, Ram, always the most powerful because Vishnu is that which everything arises from. So you, you can't beat Vishnu. Vishnu's the days. Um, anyway, so Arjuna, and, and they also mentioned in the beginning of the Gita is Bhima, and, or I'm sorry, Bhishma and Drona, who were the teachers, the gurus of the five brothers when they were involved, when they were allowed in the kingdom, they were in the kingdom. So at this point, the family is split in two where you have the five brothers and these other very pious kingdoms going to war with the bad guys, the kurus. On the bad guys team, and I'm using, always picture me doing finger quotes with bad guys um, because they're not bad. They're just, they're the other people. Um, But they're not, like Duryodhana is going to destroy everything. Karna is over there, who's actually a a brother of the Pandavas, which is a whole other story. The Mahabharata is like a lot of stories within stories within stories. Um, But the Gita is supposedly, they believe, like added after the fact. Because it kind of doesn't really have anything to do with the Mahabharata. But since the Gita discusses these things, I'm just going to throw them out there. So... This, the battle of Kurukshetra is the five brothers coming home and like, hey, we're here to take our shit back, you know. So, the thing that's interesting, Bhishma and Drona are very pious, very knowledgeable, very religious and uh, intelligent men that are the gurus of the boys. And, well, Bhishma isn't necessarily, Drona is, but Bhishma, but the thing is, is these two guys swore allegiance to the throne. Okay, well, they, they, and they're, you know, to be fair, well, Bhishma's been around forever, but they were never run by a bunch of fucking assholes, so they, you know, didn't think that this would ever happen. And that's where we get to the idea, which I've discussed before, that wisdom frees you, morality binds you. These two men are now, due to morals, due to policies, are bound to defend this throne no matter what, even if a blind, doddering fool and his shithead son are in charge. So you're fucked. And that's part of the reason that Arjuna is having such a hard time with this, is that he's telling Krishna... Is Krishna his, is his charioteer in this. It opens up with Arjuna saying, hey, take me onto the battlefield. I want to just survey this one more time. So Krishna takes him down. He's like, I can't do it. This is the yoga of dejection. That this dejected, he's just, he's trembling. He's fallen. He's... You know, the famous line that the Gandiva, the bow Gandiva has slipped from my hand. He's dropped his weapon. The Gandiva. And now the reason that this is important is because up until this point through the Mahabharata, Arjuna has been, he's part of the Shastri class. So he has been nothing but the consummate warrior, the almost perfect person. Um, 
you know, he, him of all of the brothers, being that Indra is his dad, has just been perfect. But even this perfect warrior who has never walked away from a fight, never shirked his duties as a Shastriya, is now fully dejected. And he doesn't want to do it. And he's talking about how, what a horrible idea this is. And in that time, it, it, the whole first chapter is his diatribe about why this is a bad idea. And now he is trapped in that morality thing because what he's talking about is like, these are the morals. Like it is immoral for us to kill our family members. You know, this is a torn, this situation's torn apart and it's not good. And Krishna is essentially like, yep. So like, this is, this is where we're at, dude. Like we're here. And sometimes this is what it looks like, you know, um, because, you know, it's obviously not great to go to war with your family, but also Duryodhana is a fucking asshole. He's fucking up the kingdom. Dhritarashtra, the king, is definitely fucking up the kingdom. So, you know, on one hand, you know, Arjuna is trapped in the same, not on one hand, he is trapped in the same cycle, in the same thought process that Drona and Bhishma are trapped in. And and through the whole Mahabharat, Drona and Bhishma are both telling Dhritarashtra and Duryodhana, like, you got to stop this because these five brothers, the Pandavas, are going to kill all of us. They're going to kill everyone. Because at the end of the battle of Kurachetra, like, there's only a few people left standing. Everyone's dead. Um, Bhishma's death scene is fucking epic, by the way. Um, he dies on a bed of arrows, just fucking filled with arrows, levitated over the ground, like on a bed of arrows. And uh, he's such a powerful yogi that he's waiting for the right position of the sun and moon before he could before he will drop his body, which is kind of crazy. Um, but in that moment, everybody stops to, you know, honor Bhishma as he lets go. Um, so this idea of wisdom frees you and morality binds you when we are bound in, in morality, when we think of morality, a lot of times we think about like, uh, you know, stealing or Pornhub, whatever it is. Um, we think of morality in that way, but morals are essentially a community or society's policies and a policy is there to ensure some sort of outcome that is profitable and safe for everybody involved. Uh, wisdom, and, and we all know that that's not, like, I mean, if, if it works out, it works out, but, like, it might not, you know? Uh, but wisdom, the idea that wisdom frees you is that wisdom only knows the present moment. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
And when that moment changes and everything changes, wisdom knows to, okay, well, well let's let go. You know, we gotta, we gotta move on. We gotta do this. We gotta do that. That, you know, um, I'm at a drawbridge and the other arm isn't coming up. And there's cars now backing, getting backed up on the bridge. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, that's interesting. So, <laughs> I hope we don't get stuck here. So, that's the idea that wisdom frees you, morality binds you. Um, this, um, there's freedom in wisdom, and there is a lack of freedom when we are attached to morals and policies. It's not values. Like, that's not necessarily what's, what they're talking about here. They're talking about policy. So... Arjuna's dejection, Arjuna's pain is coming from this adherence or attachment to these policies, you know, um, and that's, uh, that's the source of a lot of his suffering right now. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of like life is until you're in that situation where it's just so painful you can't stand. I'm going to have to back out of this. This is fucking stupid. These bunch of dumb fucks. Um, now the infrastructure is fine. Uh, so I can't, I can't sit here while these, while the fucking bridge tender figures out how to open the drawbridge. Um, backtrack a little bit. We've all been there. We've all been completely dejected. We've all been. You know, I can speak for myself. I've been in those places where it's so fucked that in that moment you wouldn't have seen this other opportunity, the beauty of a situation, whatever it is, had it not been for the pain that came along with this thing. Um, think about this, that a lot of people seek out a spiritual path or whatever because of you know something painful in life maybe it's a divorce maybe it's a death it's you lose your job whatever the thing is like you're in this very dark place and you start to look for meaning right you go into the deepest darkest place you've ever been and it hurts like hell and now you want to find the meaning and that's where Arjuna is and what is very interesting to me, um, I've heard a, a lot of teachers mention this, that Krishna, the word Krishna means darkness, like, you know, and that gets translated a lot of different ways, but you meet God, you find God in the deepest, darkest places, you know, and, and that's kind of what's happening here, you know, um, if you go into the allegory of the chariot being the body, uh, the horses being the senses, um, Arjuna being the mind, and Krishna being the higher self or Atman, self, soul, um, that Krishna, or I'm sorry, Arjuna's being the mind, it's in its darkest, most painful place where it's ready to give up. You know, because that's the other thing is Arjuna is trying to compromise with Krishna. 
he's trying to compromise with God and, and, and try to get out of this thing somehow. And so, um, dude, it's crazy down here. People are fucking nutty. Um, so he's trying to compromise, right? He's trying to weasel his way out of this battle, this very difficult, painful thing that he has to do. So, you know, the mind goes into these deep, dark places, and that's where we find God. That's where we find ourself. That's where we find our higher self. That's where we find everything that we need. It's there, you know, and it's within us, right? Krishna is in the body, super soul, uh, Atman. It's, it's within you, your higher self, the divine mind, you know, which I've talked about, which I talk about a lot in the new book. Um, it's there, it's in you, within you. If you think of it just as if you need a, a place to put it, it's within you. So you find God, Krishna, darkness, you find it in the deepest, darkest places where you've and I don't mean like a, a sketchy alleyway in a, I, I, at a porn store. I mean like within yourself, like you get to those dark places within yourself. You know, you get to those dejected places where it hurts the most. And that's where you, sometimes where you hear the, the you hear what you need to hear. And so Arjuna is in this place where he's completely dejected. And in that is, if he had not gotten there, so this whole time, what's very interesting, and think of a lot of what I'm saying in the sense of an allegory or a metaphor, right? So Arjuna, the mind, Arjuna has known Krishna for a very long time. They're old friends. Krishna is a family friend. But they just assumed Krishna was their really smart friend who knew a lot of stuff, and he was a prince too. Um, you have always had access to the divine mind. You've always had access to God, whatever you want to call it. Um, you've always had access to, the, to that. And so Arjuna always knew Krishna and would lean on Krishna at times, would, you know... At one point, Arjuna says to Krishna, you know, if, when he, because, all right, this is the process of Arjuna finding out and realizing that his friend Krishna is actually God. The yoga of the whole thing, the yoga of life is finding out over time, oh my God, I'm it. It's me. Um, that takes me back to that that quote by Father Thomas Keating that the end of the spiritual journey is that there is no other. You and the other are one, always have been, always will be. You just think, use the mind, think to separate. The ego separates. You just think that you aren't. So this is before, the yoga of dejection is before Arjuna realizes Krishna's identity as the Lord, as God, the Lord, the law. Um, the divine and I think this is such a wonderful kind of thing the, the beauty of the allegory of the Gita the metaphor of you're in this body going to war every day with yourself 
with quote-unquote what you think is the world, but it's actually the mind. And then the mind, you know, the mind will hear those good ideas, those, hey, you know what you ought to do? Hey, why don't we... And then that scared small self's like, no, 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 I'm not fighting this battle, I'm leaving. Tell them that I've left and I'll just go off into the woods and I will wear uh, this, the, the clothing of an ascetic and I will wear deer skins and tree bark. This is what Arjuna says to Krishna. And then Krishna just says, come on, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. You're not going to buy an RV and live in the parking lot at a Planet Fitness, Keith. So, yeah, the yoga of dejection. God, Krishna, meaning darkness, gets revealed to you at those times where you just can't. You just can't anymore. And it hurts. But if you get quiet and you listen, Krishna will enunciate yoga. That's what happens in the Bhagavad Gita is that through this dejected state, I remember the only reason Arjuna gets to find out that Krishna, his buddy, is God is through this dejected state. Otherwise, Krishna would have just drove the chariot and they have business as usual. And what I was going to say before is that, you know, Arjuna at one point goes, if I've ever just like in jest just called you my friend and was maybe a little too playful with you, I apologize. I didn't know that you were so wonderful. I didn't know that you were God. You know, I'm sorry, mind, body, if I ever treated you with anything less than respect and stuffed you full of cheese puffs and takis and Mountain Dew I'm sorry I didn't realize that this was a holy place you know if I ever spoke ill about my mind said that I'm sorry I'm just fucked up I'm sorry I'm just an idiot if I ever spoke about myself and my body in this birth as anything other than with respect I apologize that's that's yoga you know it's also ahimsa. You know, you talk about the yamas and the niyamas and the, you know, the, the violence of that, you know, you engage in with yourself. You know. um, speaking of violence, I gotta get over here. <laughs> gotta change lanes in Boca. Um, so, if Arjuna hadn't been in this fully dejected place, he wouldn't have just, he wouldn't have realized Krishna's identity as God. He wouldn't have known, he wouldn't have realized, not intellectually known, but realized that God is in the chariot, in the body, with him. That Arjuna as the mind wouldn't have realized that God was in the chariot with him. That the mind wouldn't have realized that God was in the body with it this entire time. Speaking to it. Arjuna got a lot of advice from Krishna over the years. He took a lot of advice from Krishna over the years. 
He didn't know he was getting advice from God. You've taken advice from yourself over the years. The divine mind. And you didn't realize that that was God. That the fucking Quakers were right. The still small voice within. This is all, this, this allegory is so beautiful and so interesting. So the first chapter of the Bhagavad Gita is the yoga of dejection. Coming into union with God through our dejected state. Arjuna, the mind, is in the chariot, the body. On the battlefield of Kirichetra, samsara, the human existence. With the five senses, the horses. And it is all, the whole time, has been driven by the divine. By the divine mind, by Krishna. By God. The higher self with a capital S, Atman. The whole time it was there. It was right next to you. The whole time. And that Arjuna, the mind, doesn't get to realize, with a capital R, doesn't get to realize that without the dejected state that he's in. That he doesn't finally get to experience the love of Krishna, the love of God, the love of the divine, the the connection, the unification with all things until he has finally eaten a shit sandwich. Until he's finally just at the end of it. And then it turns out that having to go to war, having to be on the battlefield of Kirchatra was grace. That this whole thing was grace. That all of the pain of the family splitting in part, his, the death of Pandu, his father passing uh, in such a you know, weird way. Um, and, you know, Dutarastra, the blind king being in charge of the world, and they refer to it as the world, and Duryodhana, his shitty son, and, his, and, and Arjuna's shitty cousin, that this whole thing and then the dejection, finally, I can't do what needs to be done to fix. This is all so painful. And that the only solution to this painful thing of Duryodhana ruining the kingdom and Dutarastra being a daughtering fool, the only solution is to fight and to stand in the face of these things and go to war with the self, with life. I can't do it. And then it turns out that all of that turns out to be grace because without all of those things, without the pain and suffering of the human existence, without the pain and the suffering that comes with having to face the samsaric painful existence of being alive, the impermanence of being alive, without that pain, you don't get to realize, you don't get to come into union, you don't get to experience yoga, you don't get to realize that thing, you don't get the grace of Krishna, you don't get the grace of God, the grace of realization without the pain that comes with this whole thing. That is fucking wild. And so for my money, if it's not the Gita, I'm just not that fucking interested. Because after this dejected thing, after the yoga of dejection comes, here's what you're going to do. It's not just some fucking empty realization like an Eckhart Tolle book or a fucking 
whatever. And it's not a bunch of rules like some other books we know without reason. It is yoga. Krishna goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. The rest of these chapters are, if you look at it this way, do this. If you look at it that way, do that. That's it. Here's the rule book. And this is going to be a little sideways, but a lot of people refer to some other books as a good rule book or a manual for life. No, it's not. Because if it was, you wouldn't be so fucking confused. Open the Gita, read the fucking rules. It will not insult what you're already doing, I promise you. Because that's not what it's about. Krishna wouldn't insult you. Other people would insult other religions and other theories and other philosophies. Yes, they probably would. But Krishna says... Whatever you worship, whoever you worship, you are actually worshiping me. It's okay. It's all one thing. Because Krishna is an emanation of Vishnu, the sustaining aspect of source of God. The thing about God, the thing about source, the thing about whatever it is that you're talking about that sustains life. Yeah, that's Vishnu. That's Krishna. So it's okay. And when, and when uh, Bhagwan Das said, if you go to that tree every day and you pray to that tree, God will meet you at that tree. That's the Gita. That's what Krishna's talking about. So, without the dejection, there is no yoga. Without the pain, there is no realization. Without grace there is no realization so once you realize with a capital R that the dejection and the pain and the suffering are grace you know now you're on the path now rather than being afraid of pain and suffering you don't necessarily welcome it because it always sucks but you're curious you're at least curious about what it is and what this has to teach you think about that Think about the pain. Because if you're listening to this, if you're following any of this, it's because you're interested. You're curious. There's got to be something else. You are Arjuna. Arjuna essentially is looking at Krishna and going, what the fuck is the point? What is the point of this? This is crazy. What are we doing? Krishna goes, oh, you wanted another point? Okay, I'll tell you point. So Krishna lets him know. Very interesting. That is chapter one of the Bhagavad Gita. I'm explaining it as best I can. I hope that that was, that that made sense. If you have questions, always reach out. I am, I will talk about the Bhagavad Gita all day. Um, since we're talking about it, hi Krishna. Um, Hari is the H-R H-A-R-E is the feminine aspect of God Rita I'm sorry Radha Radha Rati Radha and Krishna um, so Hari Krishna and um, that is my attempt at starting to unravel the Bhagavad Gita for you um, I recorded this early because I'm about to do a field trip slash vacation that will be another episode that is going to be wild and fun. 
and uh, we're leaving uh, tomorrow. So, getting this out of the way, I want to have it loaded. So, um, yeah, if you're interested in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, any any uh, one is good. Uh, if you want to get it without the commentary where it's just the story, it's a very easy read, very short. Like I said, the beginning of it, all the names and all stuff, don't really worry about understanding who those people are. They don't necessarily uh, matter. Uh, but if you would like a really great uh, uh, version of the Gita with a really wonderful commentary, uh, Eknath Eshwan's translation with the commentary is fucking incredible. Um, also, it is on Audible. Wonderful narration. Do both. Get both. And as you listen to it, highlight things in it. Um, it's great. Uh, and if you listen to it on Audible, what's really wonderful is after they go through all the commentary, they start again and they just read the Gita through without the commentary, which is pretty cool. Um, one of my favorite things about South Florida is somebody with a souped-up car with a paper license plate indicating that they just purchased this thing and they're driving it like a crazy person. So let's at least get to the first payment before we wrap it around a light post. All right. I love you guys. Um, go to theinfinitesparkofbean.com, Patreon. Join the $10 a month for the first Wednesday of every month online gathering or the $20 a month where we are meeting twice a month, both involve emails with uh, reading material and, and um, yeah, creating a community. I love it. Uh, if you're interested in one-on-one sessions, uh, email, Instagram messenger, or Instagram direct message. Um, I love you. And um, if you were offended or put off by the episode before this one, I apologize. I just need to get off my chest. All right. I love you. Bye-bye. credit card bill.